masks are so fifth wave. This week, the mask bylaw was repealed, except for the two or so that are probably going to be unrepealed and submitted for maybe a denial by the province. And yep, we're still definitely talking about this. Plus, we'll talk about other things. Back to normal. Best podcast ever. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 169. Nice. We are recording this Tuesday evening. Both Mac and I are fresh off listening to council talk for what was only around four or five hours, but what felt like an entire week, (laughs) round after round of questions about masks that we have asked constantly for the past two years and gotten the same response to. We'll talk about all of that, but first we've got to burn it all down in the rapid fire segment. The Edmonton Police Service announced this week that they'll be purchasing a train because the chief, quote, really likes that John Candy movie and we already have the other two. A report this week warns that Edmonton could become the first Canadian city with permanent wild pigs if we don't stop people moving into Edmonton from Calgary. The city of Edmonton is hearing three times as many pothole complaints as last year, so Infrastructure Services is shoving a bunch of asphalt in their mouths to shut the holes up. Said a manager, quote, if we wanted to hear complaints, we would just open our HR file for culture of harassment reports. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This week, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Your Forest, a podcast about the natural world. Hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and much more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. You can find Your Forest wherever you get your podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. Mac, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the big news this week. Uh, Of course, we are recording this just after council has voted to repeal the mask bylaw, but they didn't do it without taking a long time and indeed spending nearly an hour debating the procedure of how they would go through with this meeting. Yeah, I was thinking, I was trying to find an analogy. It's kind of like a basketball game. You know, you could watch the whole thing or you could just watch the last 10 seconds because the scores are usually pretty close. And I know basketball people, there's more to it than that. But really, it started at 1.30 and nothing substantive happened until 4.45, 5 o'clock, when they then had to extend orders for half an hour (laughs) for the day in order to get the vote finished. Uh, As you say, they started off with this procedural mess. So this was a special city council meeting that they called. They were going to get a verbal update on COVID-19 from administration. And Dr. Sikora, Dr. Chris Sikora was there as well, the chief medical officer of Health for Edmonton. And that was the only thing on the agenda. And then somebody suggested, well, wait a minute, we might want to do something about that bylaw that everyone is expecting us to talk about today. Maybe we should put that on the agenda. And that caused a whole bunch of confusion about whether or not things should go on the agenda or could go on the agenda and the order we should talk to them. It, it's like, didn't they have city council school when they started, Troy? I don't understand why still nobody understands how to run the meeting. Yes, I broadly agree with the take of didn't we have city council school? But this procedural snafu did reveal yet another avenue by which procedural hackery could have caused a different result. And I mean specifically because, like you said, they wanted to deal with the bylaw today. In order for something to be added to the agenda, it needs a supermajority of council to vote to add it to the agenda. 
So in this case, they didn't have the bylaw on the agenda, and someone moved to add the bylaw to repeal the mask bylaw to the agenda. Now, that needs nine votes to pass. However, because of council's rules about not repeating the same business and repeating the same vote, had there been enough votes against adding the repeal to the agenda, council wouldn't have been able to repeal the bylaw if they had less than a supermajority of votes just by procedure preventing it. Of course, they could always schedule another meeting or revisit it or someone from the prevailing side could have changed it. The procedural staff who did reveal a potential weakness in how the procedure is set up at these special city council meetings. But alas, of course, no one took the bait there. Just like later in the meeting, no one took the bait to prevent third reading at a single meeting in order to just keep it on the books for a little bit longer. Right. Council was pretty well by the books, acting in good faith today, which as someone who likes to see people play dirty, was disappointing for me. <laughs> well, as you as you point out, they would have needed nine. And it turns out that number was important today because when they did finally eventually get to the vote, which we'll talk about, it was eight to five to repeal the bylaw. I just have one other question about the procedural snafu, though, Troy. So I understand uh, that they needed the supermajority to add it to the agenda. What I don't understand is why it wasn't already on the agenda, along with 3.1, where all they needed to do was vote to accept the agenda, not add something to it. I think there's two reasons for that. One is maybe agenda review committee didn't quite have their way with this. The other thing is the mask bylaw contains provisions for when council will come back and review the mask bylaw. And that's 30 days after both of the conditions are met. That is the COMOH issues an order saying the provincial mask mandate is terminated and caseload has dropped below 100 per 100,000 population. Now, we are currently at around 131 per 100K, so we're not past that threshold. Even with the reduced testing numbers, we're well above our threshold. So maybe that's the reason why it wasn't on the agenda, because that would be a little bit like administration running the city. City council has given direction for when they want to revisit the mask bylaw, and it wasn't right then. The other sort of like procedural snafu that I'd say is, okay, but why is the thing that's being added to the agenda a repeal bylaw? Why isn't it the existing mask bylaw that they can debate and amend or move to repeal or any number of things? It did seem to me like administration kept saying, we have no recommendation on this. We're just providing advice. But then at several points in the meetings, administration strongly recommended repealing mask bylaw. And in fact, Tim Cartmel's closing statements were, because admin has so strongly recommended that we remove this. It all seemed very, very weird. We're going to stop talking about the procedural issues after this one last comment, which is, it was exceptionally funny how long it took for them to deal with these procedural issues because the meeting started with acknowledgement that the medical officer for the Edmonton region, Dr. Sikora, was only available until 3 p.m. So rather than getting quickly to the questions of the doctor who they want their his medical expertise, they decided to debate amongst themselves of what should and shouldn't be added to the agenda in what order for a good hour, limiting the time they had to ask questions of the doctor. And then when they finally did get to questions, they had to really rush it along because he had to go and they asked him to stay longer than he was already planning to. It was it was a bit of a debacle for sure. And I, I take your point about administration running the city, but agenda review committee is the mayor and uh, they could have decided this was going on. Here's the bigger problem I have with all this, Troy, is I think everybody expected they were going into this meeting to talk about repealing the bylaw. 
that wasn't on the agenda seemed very confusing to me that we had to have this big debate to add that. It's like, well, of course, that's what we have to have on the agenda. That's the whole point of this special meeting, is it not? That's what they had communicated to the public through their you know, public statements and, and tweets and things previously. So we did finally get on to the discussion. They asked questions of Dr. Sikora, which, again, not sure any of the information he provided or did not provide, as is often the case with his answers, helped them make a decision about repealing the mask bylaw. But I would say that the arguments kind of fell into a couple of broad buckets. There was the first, which is that many counselors pointed out the inconsistencies with other jurisdictions, the impact on frontline workers and businesses who would have to enforce this if we kept it, the feedback from you know the business community about that. So that was one thing that came up quite a bit. There was the survey that they shared some results from. There was uh, 66,000 people that responded to the survey and they sp- Yeah, we'll put it we'll put a caveat on there were 66,000 responses. People, I'm not sure Russian bots qualify as people just yet. 30% of people or bots or whomever responded to the survey said that they would want to see it remain. The vast majority said they want to see it go away and only 2% uh, undecided on that. So they talked a bit about the survey. And so there was reflecting the wishes of, you know, the public and the engagement that they've heard there and through their, you know, messages that they've received in their offices. And then there was the group that ultimately voted against repealing the bylaw and, and, and was on the losing side that talked a bit about the vulnerable and uh, protecting the vulnerable in our community and the fact that this is a tool that has been proven to be effective in, in uh, lots of different places and over the course of this pandemic and doesn't seem like a huge thing to, to keep it. So there was that argument that was made as well. I think for me, those were the big buckets. Did you pick up on anything else, Troy? No, I think you broadly covered the buckets, but I did want to highlight a couple specific questions that I very much enjoyed being asked. And I share your general comments about Dr. Sakura. I find many of his answers are non-answers, but one place where he did give a concrete answer that isn't surprising information, but was new information to have on the public record. He was asked about the difference between a medical doctor and a doctor who is in charge of public health. And he essentially confirmed that in terms of public health, you're talking about preventing the most harm. And the decision-making process in public health is done by politicians. Doctors exist to give advice, but because it's so broadly affecting so many people and because it's based on policy, politicians make that decision. And I very much appreciated the confirmation in public that what we're talking about when we talk about COVID-19, as much as we can all say, let's follow the science, let's listen to scientists, at the end of the day, it's political. And everything a medical officer of health says is political. Yeah. Aaron Paquette really doubled down on that. And he asked point blank, uh, Will any of your comments differ from what we have heard from AHS, Alberta Health Services, controlled by the province? And his response was, no, it won't. Dr. Sikor is there as an instrument of the province. He is there as an extension of Alberta Health and of, ostensibly, Dina Hinshaw, the CMOH's office. And city council has indicated that they don't trust the Kenny government. And they don't trust that the recommendations of the medical officer of health are even being used to make decisions because once again, we don't have those recommendations. So I really appreciated that getting on the record and that getting discussed. Of course, did it materially change anything? No, absolutely not. In fact, even Aaron Paquette, who was asking this very pointed question and, you know, needling a very important point, he ultimately voted to repeal the mask bylaw. You know, I found myself at times thinking, wouldn't it be great 
If the passion with which some counselors throughout this pandemic at these COVID-19 meetings have spoken about protecting the vulnerable did that in other contexts as well. <laughs> and I don't mean to suggest that they don't care about the less vulnerable or anything like that, but it definitely seems like this COVID-19, you know, these emergency committee meetings have and these special meetings that they've called like this have provided an opportunity to be performative a little bit. And I want to, that's kind of what stood out for me. I want to pick that up because in his closing remarks, the mayor, Emerjit Sohi, essentially said that not repealing this bylaw, leaving it in place would be performative rather than substantive. And he reiterated some of the things that Aaron Paquette and others had said in their closing remarks about feeling backed into a corner and hands are tied. And they were talking about that because on the very same day today, this afternoon, the council was debating this. We learned about Bill 4, the province is putting forward, which is the Municipal Government Act amendment that would restrict the ability of city council or, or any city council in the province to enact its own bylaws related to masks or vaccines. And if it comes into effect, it would have the immediate effect of repealing any such bylaw that was still on the books. And so the mayor and Paquette and others were arguing that no matter what we do here today, it doesn't really matter because it's all moot. The province is about to remove our bylaw for us anyway. And so that's why the mayor was suggesting that it was a bit performative. But I kind of feel that about the whole conversation, right? Like having this special meeting and doing the grandstanding for four hours and three or four rounds of questions like they got into is all a bit performative. That's how I felt about the meeting today. I think there was no better example of the performativeness of it all than every time they voted for another round of questions. It was 12 in favor and one against. Michael Jans very quickly just started voting against additional rounds of questioning because, like you said, it was performative question asking. I think the performance that we were put on today was a performance of political cowardice, plain and simple. Because, like you said, Bill 4 is out in the legislature. It had received first reading today. And yes, it does include a provision that would instantly repeal a mask bylaw. Councillors seemed to take that as, first, an indication that Bill 4 was law. Councillor Andrew Knack continually asked administration questions about how can we use Bill 4, how can we use the processes outlined in Bill 4 in order to proceed with Bill 4 approval of subsequent bylaws. Again, Bill 4 is not yet law, Councillor Nat. Yeah, you need to <laughs> chill. But even more than that, in his closing statements, Paquette said, you know, it doesn't matter what we do. That was a quote. He ultimately decided to repeal the mask bylaw. And that just doesn't make sense to me. If the mask bylaw is going to be repealed either by you or by the province, and you think the mask bylaw has value, which Nat, Paquette, Sohi, all indicated that they think it's a hugely important tool in the toolbox, why? Why would you repeal it? If nothing else matters, it, if it's truly the same result, no matter what happens, wouldn't you want to show your values? Wouldn't you want to stand up for your constituents? Wouldn't we want to show why you've been elected? And instead, all of them chose to be Kenny's lapdog for a grossly unpopular premier who's about to lose a leadership election in a city where he has no pull and sway and is broadly hated by politicians and citizens alike. It doesn't make any sense from a politics perspective, from a policy perspective, I do not get why councillors behaved in the way that they did today. I hear what you're saying, definitely. And it's not the first time we've seen that, right? You've pointed out many times already in this term where we've heard councillors give a closing statement 
indicating one thing and then vote differently when the vote actually comes. That's happened by accident, but it's also happened on purpose. I took the vote the way that it went from the folks that you mentioned, and in particular from the mayor, as a very small attempt to start to repair the relationship with the province. And I hear what you're saying about, do they need to be doing that with Jason Kenney? Is there a relationship to be salvaged there at all in the first place? Those are all valid points. But I think it was probably a way for them to show that, okay, we know our place here. We basically serve and exist here only because the province allows it. Let's not poke the bear any further than we already have. Maybe? No, I don't buy it at all. Because if that's the intention, then so he shouldn't have snarkily said, the province is treating us like children, with the express intention of the media picking it up and retweeting it, which they absolutely did. We are kids, treated like kids by the province. So it's really sad day. <laughs> that's true. He's been uh, particularly spicy, our mayor of late, compared to uh, the first couple of months on the job. I feel like we should talk about the actual vote then, Troy. And what happened following that? You know, leading up to it, leading up to the vote, councillors did a bunch of things wrong and performative, and we've been highlighting that. But this isn't to discount how poorly Andrew Knack's final motion ended up resolving and how baffling and ridiculous council's decision was. <laughs> okay. The debate here was, should we have masks or should we not have masks? And Andrew Knack steps up to the plate and says, you know what I should do? I should repeal the mask bylaw and remove Edmonton's only protection that we have left. I know I've said that this is a bad idea, but I should do that. But then what I should do, make it so Edmonton doesn't have a mask bylaw for a week, but then propose a new mask bylaw that can be implemented a week later, only if the province approves it. And then we can add another bylaw, but this one's just for transit so that no one knows when, where, or how they should be wearing masks. And they only get frustrated with city council for doing something that absolutely no one asked for at any point in time. That's what we should do. And darn it if council didn't get on board and vote for it 8-5. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't quite 8-5. What they did is they voted 8-5 to five to repeal our current bylaw. And it was Jans, Rutherford, Salvador, Stevenson, and Wright that were opposed to that. And as you pointed out earlier, that passed first, second reading, and then unanimously passed uh, or got to consider third and passed there as well. So that was done. There were two subsequent motions from Andrew Knack. The first was, as you say, to put forward a new temporary face coverings bylaw and they have the intent of that being that it be submitted to the province. And that only passed seven to six. So it's very close. Mayor Sohi, Tim Cartmel, Hamilton, Principe, Rice, Rutherford were all opposed. Tim Cartmel said that, you know, he was voting against it because it didn't make sense to follow up what they had just done with this other motion to bring in a new one, which I agreed with him on. He made, you know, I don't know, I don't always agree with his reasons against the mass bylaw, but I think he made some good arguments in the course of the discussion when they finally got into the voting. And then there was this other subsequent that was the new bylaw that only be include that only include provisions on public transit and in city facilities return to the city council meeting next week. And the reason is because in the current reading of Bill 4, which as you pointed out, is not yet legislation, and which I will point out means that either Andrew Knack or his staff or both were reading the thing through the city council meeting in order to parse this. <laughs> not only that, he was also reading tweets from media about Dr. Dina Hinshaw because... Right, yeah, he, he cited those in the meeting, right? He's like, well, she just said this. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, I, maybe maybe they were right. I think Jans and 
maybe even Paquette right off the top are like, should we be having this meeting right now? Maybe they shouldn't have. Anyway, Bill 4 basically says that if it's on city facilities, then the city, of course, can do their own bylaws. So it doesn't apply there. So they could have a bylaw that requires masks inside, say, rec centers, but they couldn't have a citywide one without approval by the minister. And as Joanne Wright, I think it was, pointed out, this is the municipal affairs minister, Rick McIver, not the minister of health or anybody with the health knowledge that would consider whether or not to allow this, but the municipal affairs minister. Also the minister who just tabled this legislation to prevent us from adding a mask bylaw. Right. So both of those are supposed to come back next week to city council, whether they get to a Monday or Wednesday, where they go beyond that is anybody's guess. But as you point out, I can't imagine that Mr. McIver is going to be keen to allow us to have a new bylaw. Just to confirm, Bill 4 is not law. Uh, It has no effect and it could be amended or never proclaimed. So good on city council for assuming this law that doesn't exist does. But even if Bill 4 was law right now, Bill 4 enfranchises the ability of a municipality to add a mask mandate on public transit and in city-owned facilities. So if Bill 4 was law, city council could have today passed a bylaw allowing masks in city facilities. What they've done is they said, masks are currently required in city facilities. We're going to repeal the mask mandate entirely. And then in a week, we might add it back to just city facilities. This will address the confusion concern. This will address all of the complaints. And this will definitely tone down the hostility against rec center staffs and EPL staff. It is all very good planning. If I'm coming off as bitter on this, it's because not only was council performative and trying to pretend to be on my side and actively voting against what I wanted, They didn't even have the good graces to do it with a good policy framework. It is very hard to get me to agree with Tim Cartmel, but Tim Cartmel essentially said, why would we do this? Why would we reintroduce what we just repealed? And he's right. I think what's being lost in all of this is the discussion of why this matters. And it's not just like a fictitious exist in your head. I was visiting my sister out in Fort Saskatchewan the other day. And I love Friesen Bros. We're not even sponsored by them on this podcast, but if you want to send some Ryan Jesperson money over our way, well, we'll take it, Friesen Bros. But I was going to stop at Friesen Bros and do some shopping. We pulled in the parking lot, saw like seven people coming out without masks, and we're like, right, we're in Fort Saskatchewan. And we drove back to Edmonton to do our shopping. What are we going to do now? I don't know, drive to Toronto, I guess. Click and collect. <laughs> I, I, I suppose so. But To assume that having masks in the city of Edmonton would only cause an outflow of people, people would only go to other jurisdictions and shop there because no masks are required, I think ignores the massive contingents of people just like me who would only shop in Edmonton because of the mask bylaw. The mask bylaw that is no longer in the city. Even Tim Cartmel said he'll continue to wear masks in certain settings, and I think we'll see a lot of that still with or without the mask bylaw, which I don't know, but you try, I am done talking about. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Let's never talk about it again, except next week when the ridiculous thing comes back and it gets voted down because it was in fact ridiculous. Let's talk about some good news quickly, Mac, because we have been talking about COVID. We've been talking about cops. We've been on a break for one of the weeks. You know, we've had a singular focus on this podcast. And this podcast, its goal is to tell you everything you need to know about city council. We've been a little bit absentee in our mandate right there. A lot of stuff has happened. I'm not diminishing our coverage of the cops. It was necessary and we need to do those episodes. Yep. But let's talk about some of the other stuff we missed. Namely, trains. I love trains. And 
apparently Castle Downs does too. I love trains as well. So one of the things that happened while we were on the break was the city brought forward to city council its 15-year mass transit plan. So this is a document that is meant to take the direction of the city plan that says we should have mass transit and try to put some detail to that with some lines and some stops and to decide how many people it's going to serve. So this uh, mass transit plan is supposed to serve a population of 1.25 million people, and it outlined some lines that would be built to expand our existing network, add new lines, such, you know, etc. And it was only controversial because the Metro line extension north from where it will terminate in Blatchford to Castle Downs was not included in that strategy. And this was not something that made St. Albert Mayor Kathy Heron particularly happy or the council over there. And it also, in the end, did not make our own council happy because they voted 11 to nothing to add that back into the first phase of this planning document. So the Metroline extension north to the edge of St. Albert has been restored. And that's good news for to the northwest of the city, but also for St. Albert. Their transportation master plan also does include plans to connect a seven-kilometer LRT from that station through St. Albert. No idea when that might happen. It's just described as a long-term plan. Would cost over a billion dollars to do, but at least Edmonton's part of that will still be going forward as planned. We've seen this debate in the past. I believe Councillor Michael Walters even surfaced the proposal of extending to Heritage Valley before Castle Downs. It's ostensibly because, you know, the south and the southwest of the city is growing quite rapidly. Um, It's got a new hospital slated for down near where the Heritage Valley LRT would land. It's outside the Hende. It's sprawl. There's tons of people down there. It is reasonable to service that population. And many areas in the north are suffering from the same problem that happens in our mature neighborhoods, where neighborhoods, you know, kids are moving out, families are aging in place, and so the density does tend to drop. But these people have been waiting for the LRT for three decades, and I think council rightly said, we've been promising people in the north equitable services for a long time, and it's time to deliver. And I think we saw a unified council in saying, yeah, let's keep that promise. Yeah, we've also spent some money. We haven't just told them. We spent $25 million on design work to extend beyond Blatchford. So, you know, I'm not usually a fan of the sunk cost fallacy, but in this case, there's a couple of reasons why it was a good thing for that to be restored. Also, the biggest sunk cost, the Metroline extension itself, it was extended to Blatchford because we were planning the next phase is going further north. If we weren't ever planning on going further north, maybe we wouldn't have built the Metroline. And Mac... The Metro Line has been a story for a long time. (laughs) We've been trying very hard to build the Metro Line, and we finally have it basically running. So let's capitalize on that. Yeah, no doubt. Let's keep this podcast going on a positive note. Let's talk about some other wins. And we've ragged on uh, Councillor Ann Stevenson in the past few episodes. She's on the police commission. She's experienced some uh, pretty significant losses uh, for her motions at council. And she did clock in a win quite recently, winning an eight to five vote to explore shifting the downtown community revitalization levy in the next 10 years to provide some funding for affordable housing, public washrooms, and other priorities. And I said other priorities, but Mac, I think you're zoning in on that second one right there. Well, public washrooms in particular, yeah. I just want to quickly say that this is a, a, a basically a second attempt for Councillor Stevenson. And by the way, we're recording on your birthday. So happy birthday, Councillor Stevenson. Uh, 
Stevenson, of course, was the, the counselor who brought forward the motion to cancel the funding for the 103rd Avenue Pedway. Uh, she was, you know, talking about potentially we could reuse that money in another way, in a more effective way. And so this is like a second kick at the can and it worked. Um, we're expected to get this report back in November with some options for how we could spend some of the CRL money on things like affordable housing and public washrooms. And every time public washrooms comes up, uh, I'm... I'm so conflicted, Troy. I agree that we need some more public washrooms. I'm glad to see some funding for it in the budget debate in December and with motions like this that could bring more motions forward to have more funding for public washrooms. But at the same time, I go to a park, I go to a facility, especially somewhere downtown or, you know, last weekend I was at Borden Park. We already have public washrooms. They're just locked and closed with no explanation for why they're not open. I feel like we could significantly address the lack of public washrooms by simply opening up a bunch of the ones that are already constructed. But maybe that's too easy. Uh, Yeah, you know, you have to write at least three more reports to uh, get it past the city manager's (laughs) office. I guess. Well, one reason you'll always need a public washroom is because beer makes you gotta go pee. And we had talked about council canceling their plan to allow alcohol in parks. We heard that the Pearl Clutchers had said, this pilot must end immediately, (laughs) forthwith, and council agreed that, eh, you know, you're absolutely right. This newfangled thing called alcohol, no jurisdiction has ever dealt with something like this before. We need to put the brakes on this. But council, uh, as the whole, took a look at what committee said and said, nah. Now we are going forward once again with the pilot this is the second time it's a pilot to allow drinking in Edmonton parks. Asterisk. <laughs> they had two votes on this. The first was to get a report outlining implications, best practices, GBA plus analysis, all the stuff that frankly Troy thought would have been done already. Anyway, they voted to do that. It was carried eight to three. And so sometime in November, we'll get a report back on best practices for consuming alcohol in parks. I recommend bringing a cooler with some ice in it. The second vote was about, as you say, the pilot project. And this was another win for Councillor Stevenson. She brought this forward to expand the pilot. Well, first of all, to continue it for 2022, still a pilot, but also to expand it to some other designated sites within the existing budget. So at no greater cost. And that one was carried seven to four. So as you say, council did a little bit of an about face from where committee was, but probably I think made the right call. All right, Mac, we got two more things to quickly burn through that we had missed in the past. First one is bike plan. Uh, Last time we left this, committee had done a monumental motion that was essentially requesting over 400 kilometers of bike lanes to be built. Sorry, not bike lanes, multi-purpose and active pathways to be built by 2026, which was an astronomical improvement over what we had. And both you and I said, we'll see what happens when it comes back to council next week. It's not going to do that because the recommendation from committee was that administration develop a report and come back with options for implementing this. So that report will be coming back to committee sometime in the fall. We'll, We'll check back in that later. If you're wondering, where did all that bike information go? We didn't forget about it. We're just wrong. Uh... We also got a uh, quick update on Edmonton's moving forward with the anti-racism strategy. Yes. So this was the very first, you know, related to the very first motion that uh, Mayor Sohi brought forward in this term. 
Essentially, they've agreed to create a new independent community-led anti-racism body that will have a mandate to address hate-based violence in the city of Edmonton. And, uh, you know, the structure is going to be determined still, so we're going to get some more information back on this, but it will be separate from administration, will report directly to city council, and would have about $2 million of a, of a budget to start, which would come from funds that were held in from the policing budget, redirected from the policing budget. Those are a long series of good news stories, but the good news doesn't end there because... The sponsors have not yet abandoned ship on this podcast. This episode was brought to you by ATB Cares from ATB Financial. With ATB Cares, giving is easy. You can donate through ATB Cares and ATB will match 20% of every dollar. That's 20 cents per dollar to eligible Albertan charities, maximizing the impact of your donation. Visit atbcares.com to choose your cause and donate today. Speaking municipally is not a registered Alberta charity. We really want those money monies. So if you want to donate specifically to me, just find me somewhere and give me some baked goods. That's that's what I want. Uh, if you want to donate to actually help someone who truly needs it, ADB Cares might be a, a better strategy there. Mac, I think that's all for this week. Before I let you go, I want to do a quick speaking municipally betting pool here. Do you okay. think the province of Alberta will pass Bill 4. Yes, I do. I think they'll follow through. I think it'll go forward and receive royal assent and become law. I do not. Uh, I think it will definitely not be proclaimed into law. Okay, let's find out. One of us will be right. And the rules of a podcast bet means listeners get to relentlessly and ruthlessly mock the loser. That's just the rules. That's fair. We'll find out maybe next week. Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Matt. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.